Well, tonight's reading from Scripture is going to be from Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and we're going to be reading uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And um, in the English Standard Version is what I'm going to be reading from, and it has uh, kind of captions at the top, and uh, at the top it says, Unity in the Body of Christ. Um, So this is kind of what this is about. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling for which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the same one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he ascended, uh, but that he also descended into the lower regions? Uh, the, of the earth. Uh, he who ascended is the one who also descended far, uh, uh, I'm sorry, ascended far above the heavens. The ascending and descending gets, uh, it's all happening. That he might fill all things, and it has happened. He gave <laughs> the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ, uh, until we all attain into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may say, and that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or um, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. He from whom the whole body is joined and held together by that which every joint which is in it is equipped. When each part is working and properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. Well, we are coming to the end of our series on the Ascension gifts here tonight. We'll wrap it up next week. And we've been looking particularly at the gift of uh, the five gifts that are laid out in the middle of that passage that are given to the body of Christ to help the body of Christ become whole and to mature. And I've been asking you to consider what it might look like if a church was something like an urban monastery. And we've used this little definition. An urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And we've looked at this passage in Ephesians 4 as one of the places in Scripture that talks about how the body of Christ can grow, become kind of a school, can help us become the people that we're meant to be. And I've been giving you examples uh, over the past couple months. Tonight I want to give you one from uh, Stephen Otis and Caleb Fristo 
and uh, many of you may know them. Uh, they live here in Knoxville, and, well, you can't see this. We won't have any more slides tonight because Matt got really sick last night, and so uh, he does our slides on Sundays, and so we're going old school tonight. So this is a piece of paper, um, <laughs> and it, it's about the Center for Sacred Reading. And Caleb and Stephen are praying about creating this space somewhere downtown. The mission to be a space for prayer and contemplation, a source for historic study, and a guide towards a deeper unity with God and others. The vision to explore the deep, slow practice of prayer that moves us towards intimacy with God. Challenge to offer a third space in between home and church that provides an ecumenical bridge of healing and understanding between historic models of spirituality and an increasingly postmodern world. And they'll focus on study, prayer, spiritual direction, and hospitality. So this is kind of popping up everywhere. So what, what we're going to look at tonight is this gift of teacher. Who is this person? What, what role do they play in the body of Christ? If you've studied this passage before, you might remember that in the Greek, it's possible to actually translate, to come up with four gifted people instead of five. It's possible to come up with pastor-teacher because the last two words are uh, written in the Greek in a, in a different way, grammatically. And uh, that's a valid interpretation or valid translation. The reason why I separate them is just pragmatically. I've known many wonderful shepherds who couldn't teach, and I've known many wonderful teachers who couldn't shepherd. So it seems to me that there are two different things, and certainly they can go together if, if uh, that's what God wants to do. So this is a gift that most of us are somewhat familiar with. We've all had teachers along the way. Um, Oxford Dictionary defines a teacher like this. A teacher imparts knowledge or instructs someone as to how to do something. Okay, so that's probably familiar to us. The role of the teacher in the church is somewhat different, however, and that's what I want to, uh, to, to point out tonight. For starters... The goal of the Christian teacher is to help the learner abide in Christ. So this is where we're different than the driver's ed instructor or or something like that. Uh, There's a very different goal in the teaching that goes on in the church. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. The scriptures are no ordinary book. They are breathed out by God. Your version might say inspired by God. In other words, they're alive with God's spirit. And sometimes the Bible calls the scriptures the word of God. And they use the Greek word logos, which was a philosophical word for the expression of an idea, a divine utterance. And in John 1... We read that Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was not made. In Him was life, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's really important that we sit with this for a little bit, because if, if, if we're thinking about Christian teaching, and one of the things I want you to think about is the, the kind of teaching that maybe most benefits your soul, one of the marks of, of, a, of authentic Christian teaching is that it is focused on helping you have a living encounter with the Word of God. 
That word is also spirit. It's alive. Jesus will tell a story about a farmer planting seeds that grow into great trees, and he'll say, the seed is the word of God. And then Paul will say in Romans 10 that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And John 6 says, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Paul in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching one another in all wisdom. So let's just sit with that for just a little bit. The the source of Christian teaching, the content of Christian teaching is the logos, is the living word of God, is the spirit word, is the breath of God. It's not merely the dogmas and the doctrines. There are dogmas and doctrines, but the goal of a Christian teacher is to help you encounter the logos. That's very, very important. It's different than driver's ed. It's probably different than than, uh, um, some of you that teach at the university, and that's not your goal necessarily there, but it's different in in the church. Uh, Jeremiah will say this, because that's the nature of the word. Your words were found, and I ate them. I love that. They're alive. They're nourishment. They're, they're food. And then, of course, the, the ultimate passage on Christian teaching, uh, Luke 24, verse 32, uh, the, Jesus has opened the scriptures to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And what do they say? Didn't our hearts burn within us as their eyes opened and figured out that it was Jesus they were with? That's what should happen when you hear the teaching of the Word of God. There should be kind of an awakening, a burning, an encounter with the living Christ. So 2 John 1, 9, everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So one of the ways that we evaluate Christian teaching is does the teaching help me abide in Christ? As I look back over my time sitting under a particular teacher or or in a particular Bible study or a particular podcast or, or commentary or devotional book, when I look back, is the end result the word dwelling more richly within me? I was having a conversation with a, with a young woman recently. I asked her for permission to share this. I won't share the name. But she, like, like many of you, is in a rather painful but also hopeful process of deconstructing her faith. She didn't ask for it. It wasn't what she wanted. She was raised in wonderful environments, great teachers, you know, everything lined up. But something has happened to her. She's taken almost everything off the flannel graph, and she's trying to figure out what to put back on. It's, it's, it's both hopeful and painful. And we're walking through it together. And so she has a dream. And I asked her if I could share part of it with you. And uh, she said yes. And uh, this little part was, she says, I was fishing. But every time I brought up a fish, it exploded. I wound up swimming around in a pool of dead fish. And we spent about an hour just praying and pondering and probing that. And, and here's what we sensed the Spirit was, was saying, that the, the fishing image in the dream was a picture of, 
probing the soul, of going into the depths of the soul, trying to access the soul, trying to awaken the soul. And this young woman is at a place in her life where the old ways of accessing the soul are dead to her. And it's terrifying to her because it's all she knows. The old teachers are like death to her. And so she's trying to hold on to the living word, trying to move towards the living word. But right now, it just just feels like she's swimming around with dead fish. I got to admit, that's a scary conversation. And And I wish we weren't having to have it. I'm having that conversation all the time with you. What I think it suggests is that what I, what I applaud about what this young woman is doing is asking the question, what is the fruit of the teaching I'm sitting under in my life right now? Someone I love very much, I watched go off to a, a wonderful Christian teaching institution, a great tradition, I have great respect, I've given money to them. And... Uh, it really damaged them. I don't know what happened, but they came back just not in a great place with God. So pay attention to that with me. Give me feedback. Pay attention to that with wherever you're, you're getting your you're teaching. It's such a subtle thing. The Word of God is so powerful. It's such a subtle thing. If you get just a little bit off, it can, it can just create death in your soul. Well, this is what the Word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to help you, you know, live, dwell richly with Christ. It's supposed to awaken creativity and hope and possibility. Yes, it's supposed to, it's supposed to point out what's dark. It's supposed to expose the shadow. It's supposed to, 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 to show the areas that are sucking life out of your soul. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's supposed to result in deep transformation. I, I, boy, I'd love for our church to be more like that. I'd love for me to be able to offer the word more like that. I'd love for you to be able to receive it more like that. I'd love for our teachers to be able to teach more like that. There's another way that teaching in the church differs from other kinds of teaching, and that's in the context in which it takes place. And I don't... I don't I don't know quite what to do with this, but you know that much teaching today takes place online. And, and one of the best, there's this wonderful technology, you can get the best lectures in the world on your phone. And uh, I've, I've spent probably thousands of hours uh, over the years hearing sermons and, and podcasts and things like that. And I feel like they've been very helpful to me. But that was not the way teaching happened in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the context was always relational, and the student always had a relationship with the teacher. That, that was how the rabbis taught. Jesus, of course, was the ultimate rabbi. And what does he do? He doesn't start a seminary. 
he starts, uh, he calls 12 guys to, to spend time with him. And so his, he does give a few sermons, but most of what he's doing is they're walking around and he says, do you see that? Let's talk about it. It's, it's life on life. Um, Jesus says, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says to the Philippians, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And to the Thessalonians, so being effectually desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own life because you become so so dear to us. I don't think this is wrong necessarily, but when you think of a great teacher in the church today, what I naturally think of is someone you know, with a huge, huge church that I can watch on a screen or, or get, their, get their sermons. And I thank God for, for those men and women. But that's not the same thing that we have going on here. The, the teaching that, that we see modeled in the New Testament, is the context is relational. You have to be in relationship with the person that's teaching you because in, 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 the, in the Bible, <laughs> there's no connection between life and content, and it's got to flow out of a person's walk, and you learn more from walking with the person than what they say. It's just so important. And, and I was so moved at the men's retreat, and I, and I was just so thankful for those of you that put that together. And we did that last weekend, and I, I just was, was so touched kind of watching Ephesians 4 happen at my table. And I, I just saw older men and younger men together kind of connecting with each other. And, you know, Austin Church, one of our leaders, was talking about a time when his family was really struggling. And he said, you know what I really needed was somebody to come by my house and mow my grass. That's all I needed. I didn't need a bunch of piety. I needed somebody to mow my grass. And I said, do you know who mowed my grass 22 years ago when my daughter had cancer? With Bob Alcorn. He's sitting right there. There's a thousand sermons in that. We did this little exercise where we put up Everybody put up on a, on a whiteboard one need that you have. And then an hour later, we went back, and then we asked, do you think that you could meet somebody's need here? And I think about 80% of them were met. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And one of the, and I asked permission to share this story, Casey Hughley, a, a young attorney in our body, um, you know, brilliant, Harvard Law, you know, who, what would he possibly need? Well, he puts up, I need a mentor. Well, guess what happens last weekend? I look over on the couch, and he and Dan Holbrook, godly man and attorney, are spending time. And now they're going to spend more time. When I think of Christian teaching, that's, that's a lot of what I what I think of. There'll be probably some books and stuff, knowing Dan. <laughs> but there'll, there'll be a lot of coffee. Probably a few tears. You know that 
I had another young woman come by my office, and she's swimming in fish too. And lots of things are coming off her flannel graph. And I said, do you know, do you know Paige Severance? No, I don't. Um, I said, you need to. Here's her contact information. Go take a walk. Paige is one of the teachers in our body. And I, I can give this young woman 100 books, but what she needs right now is a walk with Paige Severance. I think some profound teaching takes place, particularly with those of you that are young moms who have a teaching gift. And we have a couple young dads who are stay-at-home dads. Uh, Nathan Day comes to mind. He actually has a seminary degree, and he cares for four kids. His wife's a doctor. And that teaching gift is worked out all day long in the home. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Melanie is an, an amazing teacher. And, and, I, and what goes on upstairs with our little ones is just a profound picture of that relational wisdom, logos teaching. It's just so beautiful. There's something there, and I'm I'm trying to grab at it, and I I can't quite get it, but the the longer I do this, the more relational this whole thing becomes. And and, and I, I, I want so much for you, I pray so much for you, but more than anything, I want every case in to have a Dan. I want you to have a Bob when your child gets cancer. When you lose your job, I want you to have some brothers or sisters to go walk it out with. What I put on the board was uh, last week at the retreat was glue. And men being men, lots of humor over uh, picking me up bottles of glue. And I, I said, no, what I most need in our church is glue. I, I, I need the spirit to help us connect and walk it out. Because it's hard to be a Christian. Well, the, the last way teachers in the church differ, I think, from other kinds of teachers is that they live in this tension between holding on to the great tradition and listening to the fresh new words of the spirit. And when you figure out how to do that, would you email me? Um, so here's the tradition part, Second, oh, Second Timothy 4. There's a lot of this in the later pastorals. And um, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So part of the teacher's job is to preserve the great tradition, to hold on to the great tradition, to guard the great tradition. But at the same time, Jesus promises this, in the great dialogue at the Last Supper in John 14, 
He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father I will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he'll bring it to your remembrance, all that I've said to you. And then he says in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. So there's this dance, and it's so hard to live within, that we hold on to the great tradition, we hold firmly to the great tradition, we guard the great tradition, yet at the same time we're open to the fresh words of the Spirit that he's speaking to the church today. And I think a teacher is, is sort of lives in that, <laughs> lives in that tension. Um, so the definition, uh, and again, we don't have a fancy slide tonight, so this is, this is old school. A teacher shares the scriptures with the people he or she is in relationship with in a way that helps the word dwell richly in them, grounding her teaching in both the great tradition and in what the Spirit is saying to the churches now. I'll try that again. A teacher shares the scriptures with the people she or he is in relationship with in a way that helps the word dwell richly in them, grounding her teaching in both the great tradition and what the Spirit is saying to the churches now. You might be a teacher if you spend too much money on books. You love to study. You have a heart to walk with people and see the Word dwell richly within them. You find it relatively easy to understand what the Bible is saying and apply it to life. You feel most alive when you're helping someone understand Scripture in a way that changes their life. Teachers get into trouble when they care about truth more than people, become a head on a stick, become prideful about their Bible knowledge, forget that their own capacity for certainty is stained by sin, and do not abide in Christ themselves. Taryn, would you talk a little bit to Melanie about being a teacher? So in a lot of ways, this teachers, this is, this is an establishing function. Um, you know, equipping the body to be rooted and grounded and abiding in Christ, and not just uh, conveying information, good at being conveying, not just good at conveying information, uh, but tethering us to the truth, Jesus. Um, so that as, as we move forward in mission, right? Because we've talked about these 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 five as being part of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, right? So as we're all moving forward in ministry together, the apostles coming along alongside us. This is not a hierarchical thing; it's a sequential thing. They're coming alongside us and saying, okay, let's convene the body, let's, let's, let's create culture, let's set some foundations of where we're going. They're providing that roadmap. The prophet coming in, acting like the GPS and saying, well, how do we learn to hear from the Lord so that we can stay aligned to his, his ways, his heart, his will, his timing? The evangelist being the gas pedal to say, let's, let's go forward, we've got to take the hill, right? And how do we do that? Uh, the shepherd talked about last week being, being kind of like the me- mechanic that's kind of working on the car as we're going in this, this journey on a mission together and kind of helping keep all the parts together as the, the thing develops some wear and tear. Well, the teacher is the guardrails. They're saying, okay, how do we stay on the road and not deviate? How do we, how do we not fall off the edge here? How do we actually, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's, that's kind of where they are. So keeping us, uh, keeping us off the road and tethered to, to truth and word. So, um, Melanie uh, doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. Most of you know her pretty well, and she does a great and amazing job, like J- Doug just talked about, uh, upstairs with the kids. Um, but, uh, but Melanie, as, as somebody who helps the body be equipped 
through sharing scriptures, through helping people dwell richly in the word, through guarding and preserving them. Uh, what, what are a few examples um, of what that looks like for you? Okay. Um, well, that has shown up in a lot of different places in my life. For many years, it showed up in my home. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom, and um, one of uh, my husband's coworkers once asked me, do you just ask your children questions all day long? And I said, yes, um, because I took that time with my children as somebody who is a teacher, um, and I asked them a lot of questions and helped them to understand how to apply God's word to every part of their life. If we watched a movie, I was asking them, what do you think God was, what God had to say about what was going on in that story, you know, and things like that. So at home as a mom, I did that for a long time. Um, and then in a, in a church setting for me right now, obviously, um, over, uh, I'm over our children's ministry here and that is a place that I take a lot of joy. Um, and particularly right now, I'm, as you guys have heard me talk about, I'm super passionate about the way that we teach our children here with a program called Godly Play because it's something that's very grounded in God's Word. Our children are learning God's Word, but it's also a place that's open to the Spirit. So it's that place of tension that Doug talked about, I feel like, is really served well with that. Um, and then um, for many years, um, 15 years, um, one of my friends and I have done an Advent retreat for women every year, and it is a place that um, often some of the same women come together. Some of them have been there 15 times, and we think about that for a whole year. So I'm studying. I'm thinking about what we're going to talk about and um, who's going to be there for that whole year and trying to be open to how to give a message that would dwell richly with them for the whole next church calendar year. Does that answer those things? So those are ways that that's shown up in my, in my life. Um, so culturally, uh, we use the word teacher for several different things. And, uh, you know, like Doug was talking about earlier, you know, sometimes we're talking about here, we're talking tonight about a teacher as an equipper of the body. Um, versus a teacher by vocation, someone who might teach high school or be a driver's ed teacher, or uh, just someone who has a really strong skill and ability to deliver information well. Um, but uh, I, I think that contrasting a little bit with, uh, with, with David, your, your husband, who was up here last week about, uh, as a pastor, um, who also works as a teacher by vocation, um, you know, we talked with him about that a little bit, but uh, could you contrast that a little bit, the difference between you as, an, as, a, as a teacher in the context we're talking about as an equipper of the body versus someone who works as a teacher like David? Um, well, I, I agree with Doug. I think pastor and teacher are different from each other because um, David and I are very different from each other and we live in the same house. And... Um, he is about always about relationship. And so as a teacher, the teacher is just the place where he gets to do that. And so he's, his time and energy is in constantly being in contact with people, checking on them, wondering how they're doing and all of that. So that's how he loves people. Um, for me, often my love for people is in the way that I spend time preparing um, to make places available for them. I, one of the things that I call myself is a doorkeeper, um, that I want to open that door for them to walk in and be in a place that's prepared for them to experience God. And so that's kind of the difference between those two things. Um, and so um, my husband is my husband is a teacher, 
by vocation, but it's for him, it's all about that pastor role, that discipling and loving and being with the students. He doesn't really care about math or science. Um, <laughs> right, Shane? <laughs> okay. Um, but for me, it is about, it's about that word. It's about the material and how that can um, bring that person out into who God has called them to be and, and in, be able to inhabit that more fully. So all of this, again, this is all to equip the saints. And we'll get into that more next week. But this is all about launching, everyone being able to be launched well into the calling that God has for you. So, um, yeah. There we go. Thank you so much.